The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back to Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on buffalorumblings.com and everywhere else you go to find your podcast. We are a proud member of the Buffalo Rumblings family of podcasts. You can go listen to all of our colleagues on the BR channel putting out their thoughts on the Buffalo Bills each and every week. And uh, we are so glad you took the time to find our podcast, however you found us out there in the world of podcasts. My name is John Boccasino, being joined by Jamie D'Amico, my venerable colleague here on the podcast. And Jamie, it's great to have you back. Uh, we're really starting to get a sense of you know what practices are like for the Buffalo Bills. They're getting ready. The football season begins before you know it. Hopefully, knock on wood, uh, everything stays in a good place uh, with COVID and with the testing. We have a little bit of breaking news we'll get to in a second, but how exciting was it for you to see and hear about the Bills having padded practices and actually getting after it? I'm not sure what I was expecting, but it sort of seems like any other training camp with the exception of that it's not at St. John Fisher in Pittsburgh, New York. I mean, we're getting the we're getting the daily updates, we're getting the the tweets, we're getting even some small amounts of video of people making plays. Um yeah, I thought that COVID was going to make it totally different, but I'm excited to, you know, hop on the web and read about who's doing what every day in practice. This is good, man. I, I'm I'm feeling some level of normalcy, which I, I think is something that a lot of people have been longing for over the past six months or so. Anything we can latch on to that gives us a sense of, yeah, normalcy and routine and getting back in the swing of things. And normally right now, you're right. We would be getting ready for uh, we'd already have two preseason games under our belt and the season opener uh, would be coming up in a couple of weeks. So we'd be doing all sorts of positional breakdowns and battles. But it's at least nice to know that there is training camp football taking place in Orchard Park. And the Bills are obviously have a lot of expectations on the team for this year uh, to set the stage for the podcast. Jamie, today on the episode, we're going to talk about a couple of different topics. We're going to talk about the Bills shifting up their relationship of uh, expectation wise going from being a team that is in the middle of the pack, hoping to make a little bit of noise in the AFC to the bills are clearly the favorites to win the AFC East. And they have a lot of pressure on them 
How are they going to handle having that bullseye on their back, that target that comes from being the hunted versus the hunter? So we'll talk about how Sean McDermott is getting his team ready uh, to handle those expectations of what it's going to be like with the leaders in the locker room adjusting to the pressure of, again, being a team that is expected to win their first AFC East title since 1995. And we'll also do a fun little breakdown on Devin Singletary and Zach Moss and the backfield combination and how we see things shaking out, especially when it comes to Zach Moss, the dynamic rookie out of the University of Utah, how he's going to fit in as a third round pick and what the backfield uh, split might look like in the 2020 season. But before we get to those topics, Jamie, a little bit of breaking news for our fans here on a Sunday morning. The Buffalo Bills were one of several teams to have their practice delayed, the start of practice delayed this morning uh, because of irregularities in COVID-19 testing. Now, that's a very vague phrase I put out there. But according to Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network, these testing irregularities are coming uh, as a result of a testing center in New Jersey, which is one of the laboratories that are gathering all the COVID-19 tests. There have been irregularities meaning there's been false positives that are coming back, which is not a good sign uh, for how the practices and protocols are going to be implemented with COVID-19. A false positive can impact the whole team. It can impact whether a player is quarantined or not, whether they're allowed in the team facilities or not. Apparently, the Chicago Bears were the hardest hit uh, amongst the team results we have so far with nine false positive tests. They had nine positive tests Yeah, dude, nine tests uh, for their players came back as positive for COVID. All nine of those were false positives upon a second test. That's more than 10% of their players. Yeah, absolutely. That's a major lion's share of of their roster. So you can see why this is a a big deal. And, and, And the Bills have had a number of positive tests so far. It doesn't say specifically how many false positives the Bills had amongst their ranks, but Brandon Bean mentioned that several players um, had missed practice on Sunday because of a concern over these irregularities over COVID-19 testing. So, Jamie, that's a really big concern to me and to you, too, it seems like having players test false positives and the impact that can have on the season. You want accurate tests. I mean, no matter if you're talking about Joe Blow out there, me, I just had a test this past week just for the hell of it. And, uh, you know, you've got a football team, too, but you really want accurate medical information no matter who you are. So what's going on with this lab in New Jersey? Now, I understand why they're doing it that way. You don't want to have the teams in charge of the COVID testing because as the trainers tend to do with injuries, they may look the other way if the player's feeling fine or just assuming that it's a false positive. So yes, you have to have a centralized testing facility. However, they need to be better. I mean, just it, it's like if a running back were fumbling on 10% of their carries, they'd have to do better and would probably get cut. And that may happen to this lab. Yeah, it, it's unacceptable uh, to me, Jamie, the fact. And now we don't know what's causing the false positive tests out there. But even Brandon B noted that due to the number of positive tests that have come back so far, practice would have been difficult on Sunday for the team to hold if they had to quarantine all the players who came in close contact with those positive cases. It's a developing story. It's one we'll be sure to be updating our fans through both on our podcast and on buffalorumblings.com. But 
something to watch out for as, again, our football season is set to begin in about three weeks or so, uh, three and a half weeks from the time that we are recording our podcast here today. Now, Jamie, during this offseason, which has been unlike any offseason we've ever had to uh, cover here uh, as Bills reporters and, and fans of the Bills franchise, something interesting has happened. And it started slowly last year when the team got off to their hot start and it gained a lot of momentum with the win in Dallas on Thanksgiving and the win Sunday night in Pittsburgh, even though uh, Duck Hodges was the quarterback for the Steelers, that was still a really big marquee win for Buffalo to get before a national audience. The National Football League, the people that cover the teams, the people that are aware of uh, the success of the organizations are paying attention to Buffalo like they haven't done since the mid-90s with their Super Bowl runs. Now, it's a glorious thing to start getting the spotlight shown on your team and the attention getting paid to the team. Expectations are raised higher than they have been again since those mid-90s Super Bowl runs. This also brings a set of expectations. Are you at all worried about the Buffalo Bills maybe not not reading their own press and reading their own headlines, but coping and dealing with these expectations that come from the success and people expect this team to do well this year? Well, let's start by talking about this. Respect. Respect is a currency in the NFL, and it's not something that's tangible, so it can't be traded in a way that you can with money. And players are constantly talking about respect. They're talking about respect from their peers, their coaches, the media, their fans. And there's very few players out there that are going to say that they get enough respect. Tom Brady's going to say it because he's treated like a demigod by literally everybody. But if you think back to those 1990s Buffalo Bills teams, they were constantly talking about their lack of respect. Everybody expected them to be a great team, but Thurman Thomas, man, did he have a chip on his shoulder about going in the second round. He had a chip on his shoulder about people saying that he was the best all-around back in the NFL. Because why am I the best all-around back? Why can't I be the best back? Well, I got news for you, Thurman. You're a great running back, but Barry Sanders is there. Um, so do they feel like they're getting respect right now? Well, pundits are saying they could win the division, but those pundits are also out there saying that while they may win the division, it's not that they got that much better. It's that New England got worse and the other teams are, well, I like what Brian Flores is doing down in Miami, but you know the Jets are dumpster fire and the Dolphins have a long way to go. We'll see where Tua goes this season. Tua could make a big difference to them. However, with the caveats that are being thrown in there, the Bills are still feeling like they need respect, that Buffalo is, you know, they, they embrace the community and Buffalo as a city doesn't get respect. It's not a destination where people want to go. And one other reason, Sean McDermott, that guy seems to be the best psychologist this side of Phil Jackson in getting his troops aligned and moving in the same direction, he's not going to let them get overconfident. 
You know, Jamie, I really hope not. I mean, Sean talks all the time about the process and getting guys in here who believe in the culture building. And I would hope that after enduring the 17-year playoff drought that would humble any franchise for the lack of postseason success, even getting to the postseason when the NFL situates their league so well for turnover year to year, the Bills managed to defy logic and, and stay inept for longer than any NFL franchise had uh, from missing the playoffs, but you would hope that they would remember the lean times and never take for granted um, that success, nothing is given with success. I mean, they don't give out championships based on what you do during the off season. They don't give out wins based on how braggadocious you are during your press conferences. Otherwise Rex Ryan's bills would have been the winningest <laughs> franchise in the history of the Buffalo bills. I mean, they won the off season and the press conference every single week. But it's interesting, Jamie, you mentioned this earlier, the whole theory of respect as a currency. There's a great article that Tim Graham had published on The Athletic, which basically, for me, triggered this whole response to want to talk about this. Can the Bills flip their mentality from underdog to alpha dog? And a lot of what Buffalo accomplished in getting to the playoffs twice in three years for Sean McDermott at the beginning of his tenure here was as the snub, the team that had a chip on their shoulder that got no respect, that was the underdog that really overachieved in making the postseason. And I know Leslie Frazier talked about it in the article where he said he hopes that the guys embrace the fact they have a chance to do something special for Buffalo now, that they have that confidence that they can go out there and take this division from the Patriots. To wit, Jerry Hughes, the longest member, longest tenured member of the Buffalo Bills, doesn't believe that the Bills are in position to be an alpha dog quite yet for one simple fact. They haven't won the division. That was their goal last year, even though the Patriots still had Tom Brady to a man. Everyone in that locker room wanted to win and expected to win the AFC East. And Jerry Hughes's quote to me is very telling um, that I feel like is going to rub off on the rest of the Bills franchise. Quote, we still have that underdog mentality because we didn't achieve our goal of winning the division. We still have to go take it from the Patriots. We understand we still have to take it from those guys in Foxborough. So to me, and Jerry Hughes being the longest tenured member of this Buffalo Bills franchise, he's respected in the locker room. People look up to what he says and his play on the field backs it up. I would hope that everyone in that organization is not getting cocky, not getting brash about what is going to happen on the field this year, stays humbled because you take something for granted, your season can go down the drain in a heartbeat. I mean, look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're a perfect example of a team that did not handle the pressure well at all of going from being the underdog to the alpha dog. They were within a couple of plays of getting to the Super Bowl, and now they're a disaster of a franchise again. So talk about buckling under the pressure. The Jaguars are a they're a special bunch, aren't they? I mean, they make their living out of losing ten games a year, yet their uh, their GM Dave Caldwell is still there. Uh, anyway, I digress. Um, you know, when you hear from players like Jerry Hughes saying things like that, that's that's them getting themselves in the right mindset, and I appreciate that. I was once asked by a friend of mine. When will I believe that the Bills can beat the Patriots? And I will believe that when the Bills are able to sweep one season or win three out of any four games against the Patriots, that's when I'm going to believe that they can actually do it. Um, you know, the, the Patriots, they still have Bill Belichick. 
he can still X and O with the best of them. He's shown that he can confuse the hell out of Josh Allen. And as the quarterback goes, so goes the team. So if he can confuse Josh Allen, he can confuse anybody out there. I'm not saying Josh Allen is a genius. Yes, he he has. He's raw. He's still learning. But at the same time, he's a smart guy, and he's a, and he's a decent quarterback. Not a great quarterback, a conversation for another time, but they still have talent. Yes, they've lost a lot of talent from previous seasons, but that never seems to matter. But, you know, they have six players that have opted out of COVID, which is probably just because these guys want to get away from Belichick. And I believe it's 18 players overall, significant players from last season that are no longer with the team, including TB12. So you would expect them to take a step back. Are they taking a step to the middle of the pack? I'm not ready to say they are. Don't write them off. Yeah, that's exactly the the, the point, Jamie, that we have to keep in mind here is, again, just because TB12 isn't there, he's playing in, in South Florida with the Buccaneers. The Bill Belichick is a great coach for a reason. Now, you could also point to the fact that he didn't experience any success in Cleveland, his first head coaching stint, but I'm sure he learned a lot of lessons from that woebegone franchise that he applied to become the nemesis, the thorn in the side of Bills fans for the duration of his tenure with the evil empire in Foxborough. But I just, I find it hard to believe that this current iteration of Bills will again get so full of themselves and get so brash uh, and confident in embracing the alpha dog mentality that they're going to take things for granted and look past their opponents. I don't think Sean McDermott's going to let them do that. I don't think defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier is going to do that either. Frazier, Frazier had some great anecdotes in that Tim Graham piece talking about those 85 bears with the 46 defense where they expected to pummel you week in and week out. But it, what he says point blank, they didn't take things for granted. They worked and pushed the offense pushed the defense just as hard, even harder in practices than they did in the games because they wanted to show to the other side of the ball which one was better. And that type of competition is great when you got your offense and your defense trying to raise each other up to become the best that they can be. We've read a lot about training camp so far and how Stefan Diggs is making the cornerbacks better because he's challenging them and not taking plays off in practice, which is raising the bar for Levi Wallace and Tredavious White and the rest of the Bills cornerbacks out there. So competition is a very good thing. And being an alpha dog, I think the Bills can definitely flip that switch um, to get up there and reach the heights that they think they can reach with this talented team out there. And, you know, I feel like they've got the right mix of, you know, the Bills have like the fourth or third best collection of talent that's under 25 in the league, but they also have your esteemed veteran leaders like a Micah Hyde and a Jordan Poyer and a Jerry Hughes out there who can really command respect uh, from the locker room. So to me, I think it's a perfect blend and a perfect talented mix of youth and veterans that won't let this team believe their own press and derail what could be a really special season. I agree. From veterans and, and newcomers and a mix of players, the Bills, one of their most notable moves this offseason was signing third-round pick Zach Moss out of Utah to take the role of complimenting Devin Singletary in the backfield. And Bills fans are all excited about what this combination is going to look like, the timeshare, how the carries are going to be split out there. And from everything we've read so far, Jamie, during the preseason, it has been a banner preseason 
for Zach Moss. He came in grasping the playbook right away from the get-go. He really seems to be making good uh, runs after the con. There's no live tackling, but he's making really good runs. He's eluding the defensive pressure the way he needs to. And it seems like Moss really came in having picked up the lessons from the Zoom virtual training sessions ready to hit the ground running, so to speak. That is a great analogy, and and you deserve a gold star for coming up with that pun. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, bud. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, I've liked what I've heard coming out of camp about uh, Zach Moss. And, you know, something that we need to discuss here is Zach Moss versus Devin Singletary. And unfortunately, there's a lot of narratives out there about the two of them that are just not accurate. And that's how the two of them are defined. People are trying to define them as a thunder and lightning combination of, uh, you know, the speed versus the power. And guess what? That's not really what it is. Yes, Zach Moss does run over more people than Devin Singletary, but they're not fast running backs. Uh, They're very comparable in their speed and their style. What is really um, what is really lauded about them is their vision and their cutting ability. That's that's what made Devin Singletary successful last year as a rookie is his vision, his ability to make cuts, make guys miss in the backfield if need be, or even his patience within the hole when he's waiting for his blocks to develop. And Zach Moss does a lot of the same thing. Now, uh, Singletary had a lot of success running to the outside last year. And partially that was because he had Mitch Morris getting out ahead of him. And that was a thing of beauty I've talked about numerous times on this podcast. Um, You would expect Moss to run between the tackles a little bit more, but you're not going to see a huge difference in style between the two of them. Um, They're patient runners. They're cutback runners. They're guys that see the play developing and go to it. So what are we going to have here? You know, there's going to be nuances to their games. And certain, certain times, one guy's going to have a leg up over the other. And I think you're going to see them split carries according to that. At least that's what I see coming down the pike. What do you think about how they're going to be used? I think that, especially with this offseason being the presenting presenting the challenges that it has of no preseason games. Like as I love Zach Moss, I love the pick when they drafted him back in the most recent draft here. But I feel like it, you're not you can't just come in and anoint him to be an automatic fifty fifty timeshare without having a single tote during a game that actually counts. Uh, either preseason or regular season. I could see it eventually by the end of the year being a 50-50 split, but right now it's Devin Singletary's backfield. Zach Moss has proven himself to be a very capable blocker so far early in training camp. He's really exceeded expectations when it comes to pass catching out of the backfield. I don't think people expected him to be as adept as he has been as a pass catcher. I think he could really be a guy who uh, compliments Devin Singletary where you know, Singletary is the dynamic playmaker and they're both. Yeah, you're right. They're not thunder. They're not lightning. They're not Tiki Barber and Ron Dane. You know, they're, they're very similar backs out there. That was a great pull right there. I, 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 no prep went into that comment that just rolled off the top of my head out there. And that's the way my, my, my football brain works. But I, again, Jamie, I see this being a good problem for the bills to have. You look at what happened and, and I'm so tired of the comparison that they're going to have Zach Moss 
replace the Frank Gore role last year? Can we get rid of that thinking altogether? The only thing that Zach Moss is going to do to replicate Frank Gore is take the carries that went Frank Gore's way. Now, Zach Moss can be your short yardage guy. He can be a good back around the goal line, but that's not exactly his only specialty. It's not only where he's going to thrive. I, yes, he might be better than Devin at, at getting the third and one pickups where Frank Gore was atrocious on those short yardage situations last year, but Frank Gore had nothing to bring to the table as a pass catcher. Zach Moss is already a much better receiver uh, than Frank Gore ever was out of the backfield. Even though Frank Gore is a future Hall of Famer, I think Moss will be a major upgrade. I still see it being for every six carries that Singletary gets, Moss gets four. I could see a 60-40 timeshare working out for the season, but this is a good problem for the bills to have where you can ride the hot hand and who gets to be the back that's carrying the load at the certain time during a game and during the situations that apply. So I could see something where if Zach Moss were to match his productivity from college, he's not going to have, I don't think as many rushing yards as Singletary did last year, but I could see somewhere around 600 rushing yards, maybe six, seven, eight touchdowns total between passing or pass catching and running the ball, and maybe all-purpose-wise, he's around 800 yards, I would imagine, is a good barometer for him where he's getting 20 catches, 25 catches out of the backfield, maybe 200 receiving yards. So for me, I'm looking at 800, 900 all-purpose total yards for Zach Moss, six to eight touchdowns total, and somebody who can, again, be a really nice compliment as the hot hand to Devin Singletary. What about you? that's a lot of yardage. Uh, who do you think is going to have more all-purpose yardage between him and Singletary? I still see Singletary having more all-purpose yards. Okay, so do you see him going over a thousand? All-purpose, yeah. I see Singletary going over a thousand, and the reason I say that is, as much as I want to believe uh, that with the playmaking receivers that Buffalo has with Stephon Diggs, John Brown, and Cole Beasley, this is not going to automatically turn into a five thousand passing yard team. The Bills at their heart are still a team that has a belief in running the ball and controlling the clock and controlling time of possession. And it's great to have all those playmaking receivers out there, but I still don't see this being a team that goes pass first more than more often than not. I I think that their balance of this past season is probably going to stick with them. I, I'm with you on that. Um, I... I think it's going to be interesting to see how the touches split up over the course of the season. I'm hoping Zach Moss is better at picking up blitzers than Singletary was. That was he really wasn't very good at it, and I and I hope he's got a better handle on the ball because um, uh, of players that were considered feature backs last year. Singletary had the highest fumble percentage of any starter in the league, so. With that said, you know, you could end up seeing Moss on the field on third downs more often if he's picking up the blitzes and not putting the ball on the ground. So I, you know, I would love to see the two of them combined for about 2,300, 2,500 yards going to be, and that's not rushing yards. That's, um, that's all purpose yards. It's going to be interesting to see. I I hope that one of them can find their way to uh, play on special teams too, because that's you know that that's always important. But I I'm not holding my breath on that one. I I think that um, I think that it's going to be an interesting combination, and you may see um, you may see Moss starting games by the end of the year. Will 
it will be an interesting situation to monitor. It's a good problem to have, Jamie, having two very talented backs out there. No longer are the Bills counting on uh, a way past his prime Reggie Bush or even, look, Frank Gore is a great story for the first six games last year, but he, as much as he thinks he still had something to prove and something in the tank, Frank Gore was just not an effective running back for the Bills last year. And, you know, Jamie, I think an underrated part of this backfield tandem is Devin and uh, and Zach both grew up in South Florida. They know each other from their high school playing days. They have a chemistry. I don't see this being a situation where I'm saying this now in in August, but I don't see it being a situation where there is this competition, but it's a bad competition where one is envious of the other for taking away their touches from everything Sean McDermott has said and everything we've read so far in the training camp. These guys really like each other. They're getting along well. The chemistry is there. And I think that they're really excited to form that one-two punch with it really being one A and one B versus one guy having a clear leg up over the other. Well, I think they know that if they both perform well, they're both going to be in Buffalo for the next three years minimum. And they're going to they're going to be playing together. And there's definitely something about the us against the world mentality. And I think the Buffalo Bills are forming that and have really always had that because they're underestimated. Well, they were underestimated this past year. In other years, they've been overestimated, but based on the record, that is. But I, I think that if if they can pull together, they can use the competition to make them make themselves better in a healthy way. And I think that you're going to see both of these guys getting a lot of carries for the Buffalo Bills for years to come. And I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's one of the biggest reasons, Jamie, why Bills fans should be excited for both this year and the years to come with, again, that really solid blend of young talent. Uh, the Bills have the third or fourth best collection of talent under the age of 25, but also with veterans who have been there and done that and know what they're doing to lead this team. The Bills have expectations on their shoulders this year. Hopefully we get a full football season in uh, safely uh, without it being a, a lot of people missing time due to COVID tests. But you know, there's a lot of expectations and Bills fans can't wait to see what happens with the 2020 season kicking off when the Bills have the New York Jets as their season opener September 13th. Jamie, it's been a lot of fun breaking down uh, our topics here on the podcast. As always, you really brought it today, as you always do, and uh, I appreciate your insights. Bringing it. Thanks, man. You know what? You are the best podcast host there is. Just want the world to know. Hey, I always appreciate the kind words there. In fact, uh, speaking of, Jamie, uh, do you have uh, time real quick for some breaking news yourself involving uh, your podcasting career? Oh, yeah. If anybody is interested... Uh, I will be launching a podcast this week with my buddy, Big Chris. It's going to be called Jamie D and the Newt. Uh, Big Chris is a dude with some incredible insight because not only was he an all-state high school football player, he played in college and he played in the Arena League. And uh, he's got a perspective on things that is different than what we've got on the Buffalo uh, Rumblings family of podcasts here. We're going to be premiering on Wednesday. Please give us a listen. I hope you like it. We always support all the podcasts here in our Buffalo Rumblings family. And of course, Jamie, we will support you and uh, Big Chris doing your efforts out there. In the meantime, again, make sure to subscribe to all of our podcasts on the Buffalo Rumblings family of podcasts, especially our esteemed Believe podcast here. We will be back next week. I think next week we'll finally do our much-anticipated 53-man roster release. We've been doing a lot of number crunching behind the scenes 
figuring out who's going to win which positional battles, including, of course, the ever-present punting competition. We can't wait to bring that new, mm. new whether it's going to be Lachlan Edwards or Corey Bajorquez uh, winning the punting battle. I know you guys will wait with bated breath for that one next week. Man, I missed the battle of the Corys. I thought we were going to get it this year, Jamie. I thought we were going to have Corey and Corey out there. Unfortunately, uh, the Bills parted ways with Corey Vedvik and uh, brought on this Australian punter, Lachlan Edwards, to handle some competition for Corey Bajorquez. But a lot of cool things to look out for, including the kicker battle of Tyler Bass and Steven Hauschka. You can hear all about that on a future episode of Bill Leave, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast.